Welcome to Iskan of Silicon Valley. Very happy you've joined us here tonight for our weekly program. And we're going to start tonight with a song about the spiritual world, which describes how the spiritual world is reality. Well, some people reason that this material world is temporary and because it's temporary and also has variety, then by some adjustment of the mind, one might think, well, then perhaps the spiritual world is the opposite of the material world, so it's minus variety. But in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says that actually the real variety is in the spiritual world. The real relationships are in the spiritual world. Our home, and when we think of home, and I noticed that many people are traveling home for the holidays, even though Dr. Fauci said don't do it, because we have a pull towards home. We want to be in that place where our people are, our core relationships are. And according to the teachings of the Srimad Bhagavatam and the Bhagavad Gita, our real relationship is ever existing and it's in the spiritual world <clears throat> and it's not impersonal but we have lasting relationships there that we've become estranged from so the process of bhakti is meant to reawaken our original relationship with krishna who's the center of the spiritual world he's the origin of all energies and the source of all entertainment in the spiritual and the material worlds. He's the source of all fragrance, beauty. Everything that we see that's wonderful in this world comes from our original conscious source, Krishna. So how wonderful must he be? Recently, one of my God brothers passed away. <clears throat> he was a very dear soul. He joined Hare Krishna movement in 1967 in Berkeley. And another god brother of mine was <clears throat> speaking at a memorial for him and remembering the first time that he met him actually in Berkeley, California at Tilden Meadows where there was a rock and roll concert being performed. But before the rock and roll concert started, the Hare Krishna singers got up, two of them, and through the microphone, as they had been invited to do, they sang the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. My godbrother who was offering the memorial said that they were not trained singers, nor uh, were they expert musicians. They had a pair of hand cymbals, which didn't have the sweetest sound. Nonetheless, he said, there was something profound about their performance because it was so sincere, despite the fact that they had no musical talent. <clears throat> and when they came off the stage and walking through the crowd, they were a bit like celebrities. At that time, 
in the Bay Area, it was 1967, people were very much after alternative philosophies and understanding the Eastern practices, especially. And when Mukunlo, who was his name at the time, and another were walking through the crowd, people were following them. And my grandmother went up to them and said, uh, to Mukunlo and said, um, it's very beautiful here. He just made a general comment about the, the area, thinking that was a kind of spiritual comment. And Mukunlo answered, yes. So imagine how beautiful the source of this meadow and this whole world is. If the creation is this beautiful. And my godbrother said he never heard anybody say something like that, just to give an immediate reaction of offering some profound philosophy. That is the teaching in the Bhagavad Gita. Krishna says that the spiritual world is full of love and loving relationships, which is what everyone looks for in this world. We work hard because we want to build a nest or a community where we can have relationships. That's the essence of our happiness. And that all emanates from the spiritual world. There is a slight difficulty with our relationships in this world. And that is that even if they're very <coughs> well balanced, at some point, we become severed from them. We all have to move on. Unceremoniously, we're moved on from our relationships in this world. And the relationships are severed. In the spiritual world, the relationships are continual and eternal. So the song we sing now is called Jaya Radha Madhava. It mentions various names of our original divine source. The primary name we use is Krishna, which means all attractive, the all attractive person who's love personified. But there are other names too, and they're all in relationship to his relationships with his mother and father, with his friends, with his girlfriends and so forth. So let's sing this song and then we'll chant the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. And then we'll talk about the practice of Krishna consciousness. Mm. Give me a starting note. Jaya Radha Madhava Kunja Gopi Janabala Bhagiri Bharadhari 
Gopi Krishna says that the mind can be the best friend or the worst enemy. We're not our mind, but we need our mind. It's an instrument, albeit a very subtle instrument like software and a computer. And the body also is necessary for us as a vehicle, especially for self-realization. The purpose of the body and the mind is to make spiritual advancement. So this is stated in the Srimad Bhagavatam, Kama Sinendriya Pritir Lavo Jiveta Yavata Jivasya Tattva Jignasya Narto Yascheha Karmavi. This verse says, don't waste your body in sense gratification. In other words, you need some sense gratification in order to live. If anybody's ever tried just eating a saltless diet for a week or so, uh, you may say at first, yeah, I'm a great sadhu. I can eat, I can do anything. But after a month, suddenly, you know, you'll have a bag of potato chips or something. And it, it'll all just come bouncing back. The senses are, are like dangerous serpents. They're described like that. Um, Krishna, Arjuna asks Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita, what's the symptom of somebody who can, who is self-realized, who's situated on a platform of self-realization? And uh, Krishna answers him, prajahati. The first word is prajahati. It's the ability to withdraw the senses. He says that the person at appropriate times can withdraw the senses um, and also isn't enticed by the many desires that come through the mental system. There's a point at which the intelligence becomes stronger than the mind, the mind offering a conveyor belt-like um, presentation over and over again, many different kinds of ideas to enjoy and desires. 
oh, well, you tried last time, didn't work. Maybe you should try a little higher dosage or mix this with that. Maybe it'll be better the next time. Let's try it again. Of course, we get a lot of encouragement for not going for that kind of enjoyment from, from the scriptures. For instance, uh, Prahlad Maharaj, he was a five-year-old boy. He's considered one of the great teachers of bhakti, even at five years old. There's no limitation on age. You can be just a, a little child and be fully enlightened in bhakti. But he said, Matirna Krishna Paratak Sutova Mitopi Padyetik Grihavritanam Adanta Gobir Vishitam Tamishram Punak Punas Charvita Charvananam. Punak Punak means again and again. Punak Punas Charvita Charvananam means the 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 kind of enjoyment you get when you go after what the mind presents as a opportunity for for happiness is like chewing something that's already been chewed i mean there was a song about this when i was a kid about you somebody chews gum they put it on their bedpost and the next day they try to chew it again <laughs> or another example for those who have been to india uh and have seen uh, the uh, sugarcane juice go through the, the presser comes out the other side and they usually fold it once, twice, put it through again to get every last drop. And then they throw away the husk. And I, I always see, you know, some living entity goes over there and chews on it again. And it's like, good luck. You know, it's, it, it, it may smell like something's there, some sweetness, but it, you know, you're not going to get it. So he said, it's like that. <clears throat> and there's a, a way in which through the practice of bhakti, a couple things happen. One is that the intelligence becomes stronger than the mind. And this is an important first step. And it's mentioned by Krishna in the third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. He gives us an important map that lays out this body and mind for us. So he says, Indriyani pran yahur indriyabhya paramanaha manasastu parabhutir yobhude paratastusa. What this means is that there's there are categories of instruments we're dealing with as souls. We're the soul behind the body, the conscious being. And so for us, lowest of all is the senses. And above the senses is the mind. Above the mind is the intelligence. And we're above the intelligence. And then he says, Evam param budva Remember those material desires I was talking about? They come one after another and they entice us. And so then he said, fortify your intelligence so you, you have context for these things you see them and you know them for what they are. That is, they have a beginning and an end and there's no real happiness in them ultimately. They're just a, a very temporary contact that we make, but it doesn't actually give us true happiness. So the intelligence becomes well aware of this and therefore is able to sort out what to do and what not to do. And there's another phenomenon, which is perhaps even more important, that Krishna describes in the Gita. And 
in this verse, he says, Vishaya vinivartante nira harasadehina rasavarjam rasopyasya param jushva nivartate. And that is that you may be restraining your senses, even through your intelligence, but there's still a taste for the thing. In other words, your, your senses keep going back to it, or your mind keeps dwelling on it, despite the fact that you're exhibiting some restraint. But then he says, if you get a higher taste, then it's, you, you no longer have to use restraint. It ha happens naturally that you just gravitate towards the higher taste and you forget about the other one. So somebody's in a relationship and then, you know, the relationship breaks up and then they're just pining for that other person, but they meet somebody much better and nicer. And it's like, oh yeah, who is that other person? <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> so when we, when we meet Krishna, we forget about our other kinds of relationships and pursuits because the taste that we get is superior and we know it. That's one thing we know about is taste. We know, we know when we taste something that we like, right? And so when we taste Krishna consciousness, it's a, it's a taste that's superior to anything else that we've ever tasted and it leaves an impression that we can't forget. And that's what's important about bhakti, the practice of devotional service, is that we're playing with spiritual fire and eventually we're gonna get burned. What I mean by that is that, as an example, the chanting process, although I may not be, I may not be fully aware of it, it has power. But the Srimad Bhagavatam says, okay, say there's some fire. And let's just say there's a person in your group who's never come in contact with fire before. So he or she goes over and touches it. Just because that person didn't know the quality of fire, does it mean that he or she won't get burned? Monisha? Yeah, they will still get burned. They'll still get burned. So Srimad Bhagavatam says, as an example, the chanting of Krishna's names has this spiritual potency that cannot be denied. It always has an effect. And if we come in contact with it, whether we know or know not, it'll have an effect. And if we, if we stay in contact with it, then it'll have such an effect that it will break through the other kinds of habits that we have and, it'll, and it will supersede the other types of tastes that we may have developed for lower things, things that we thought were nice. But then when we taste something, even a tiny bit of the spiritual sense gratification, then uh, the other part just seems not worth it. It's just, it's not worth it at all. It's not worth my time. Why bother? There's nothing in it. For instance, if you, if you have a, uh, a diet of, let's say somebody's giving you, because you're very hungry and you could only survive on this, barley uh, cooked in cow's urine. And that was, that's what you get to eat every day. 
but you know, you get used to it over time because you're starving and you know, there's nothing else to eat. That's what you're going to get. Is that okay, Bhakta Rohit? Barley cooked in cow's urine? I've never tried Gurmaraj. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I could. Well, Bharat, that's what he ate every day when Ram was in the forest. He just went on this austere diet. Or how about Havishan? This is something that my friend Suradas used to eat every uh, Chaturmasya. I tried it once for a month. And that was about enough for me. Um, uh, Havishan is plain rice and dal cooked together with no spices, no salt, no other spices. And so if you eat that every day, you know, you'll survive. And how about, you know, then if someone gives you some really opulent food, you know, something that's much tastier. Well, could somebody name something? Sri Antariksha? What, what would it be? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Gulab Jamun. Gulab Jamun. Yeah. Well, what about a savory to go uh, with that? Samosa. Pakoda. Pachoris. Pachoris. Okay. Let's go with, with a Pakora. That's a universal favorite. I mean, everyone everywhere likes pakora. If you have a, a cauliflower pakora cooked properly, uh, fried in ghee with some tomato chutney, I'm freaking you all out now, right? <laughs> When's prashadam? So if you, if you have that, then would you like a little havishan? Uh, even if you were enjoying the austerity of it, it'll be very difficult because you have the taste so Krishna consciousness, when one gets a taste for it, is like pakora and tomato chutney times a million to the millionth power. This is what Rupa Goswami is saying in the beginning of the nectar devotion. He's saying there's different kinds of happiness. Material world has happiness, but it's the, it's the stock of the sugar cane that's already been squeezed so many times that the idea of the juice is in there, but there isn't any juice. It's just not there. And Brahman happiness, it's, uh, that is just knowing you're not your body and going beyond the uh, machinations of the mind and ex experiencing one's spiritual nature. That's another kind of happiness. But compared to bhakti happiness, it is like the water uh, in, contained in the hoof print of a calf compared to an ocean. So we hear all those things and uh, then we can be inspired to try for it on the path of bhakti. So the, the process of bhakti starts with the mind. So uh, one of the statements of the great teachers of bhakti about how to get started is yena tena pakarina mana krishna niveshayat. And that means somehow or other think of Krishna. Why? Because Krishna is sweet. 
sweeter than a gobjuman, and the most beautiful thing. So in this world, we have Cupid. You know, people see uh, a beautiful person and then they, they are smitten. They get overwhelmed, like the most beautiful per people. People, they put pictures of them up on their wall. They want to watch them on the television and in the TV. They think about them all the time, right? I'm not right on that? Yes, okay. And so if you took the most beautiful person in this world, in fact, it's mentioned that there are different gradations in this universe and there are higher planetary systems. And there are people who live in those higher planetary systems that are far more beautiful than the people of the earthly planet. Their bodies are ethereal. They're not so gross. They don't have the same bodily odors. They don't use deodorant in the, in the heavenly planets. There's, there's uh, no comparison practically, but that they dull in comparison to the residents of the spiritual world. And then in the spiritual world, Krishna, and that's what his main name means, the most beautiful the all attractive, that everybody's attracted to. If you take all the attraction you can imagine in this world that you're attracted to a beautiful person, a charismatic, beautiful person, and then you realize what's the source of that, the most charismatic, beautiful person, and it's Kandarpa Koti Kamaniya, Vishesha Shobham. So even millions and millions of the most attractive uh, goddesses of fortune are flocking to see Krishna because he's so beautiful. Now I'm going to read you something that describes why that's important. Shall I, Anushri? Okay. Hasam harir avanata ki lalokativra shokashru sagara vishoshanam atyudaram Samohanaya Rachitam Nijamaya Yasya Brumandalamunikrate Makara Tvajasya. Are you ready for the translation? Yes? yes. A yogi. What? You guys are too good. I even deliberately didn't say the verse number to see if you could get it. A yogi should similarly meditate on the most benevolent smile of Lord Sri Hari, a smile which, for all those who bow to him, dries up, dries away the ocean of tears caused by intense grief. The yogi should also meditate on the Lord's arched eyebrows, which are manifested by his internal potency, in order to charm the sex god for the good of the sages. So, in this verse, you can take it away for a minute. In this verse, what Shukadeva Goswami is talking about is the fact that people cry a lot in this material world, and it's not out of joy, generally. What percentage of the time would you say people cry out of joy as compared to out of lamentation for something that went wrong? Priya Kishori, you're a a mathematician, what would you say? 
I would say 0.00001%. They cry out of happiness. Wow. That's about, that's really smaller than I even expected I'd hear. That, that's a very tiny part. And so what happens is, did you ever wonder where salt water comes from, Srivata? Now you know. I was just down by the San Francisco Bay yesterday. It actually turns out it's right near my house. I never knew that. I just had to walk a different direction. Been here for 35 years. Um, <clears throat> there's a San Francisco Bay and it's salty. And there's a big ocean of salt. Well, it comes from all the tears of the living entities in the material world. Crying, 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 crying. Gorgo Vindamarish, he's to talk about the separation that the devotees in Vrindavan, crying, 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 crying. Material world, crying, 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 crying. Because it's, it's bitterly disappointing. It's sad. Shoka. All that, all those tears of all the living entities, imagine billions of people on the planet always crying, 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 crying. And it, over millions of years, billions of years, it creates an ocean of tears. So how to dry up the ocean of tears? If you see the beautiful face of Krishna. That's why Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, manmana bhavamad bhakto. Just think of me. Well, how are you going to think of Krishna if you don't know what he looks like? That's why there are images of Krishna. Uh, they are rendered according to the scripture. What he, how he stands, how his body is formed, what his face looks like, and so forth. And then uh, we find out also that within the name of Krishna, this is something that is taught by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Krishna's form is present. That's amazing. So when you say Krishna, everyone say, then Krishna is personally present in his name. So if you continue to say Krishna, 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 Krishna. Come on, Shamalan, you say Krishna, 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 Krishna. You're actually meeting Krishna face to face. There's no difference between Krishna, his form, and his name. And everything about him is present there in the name. So now the two things go together, these two concepts, which say, yena tena prakarina mana krishna nivesaya. Somehow or other think of Krishna and chant Hare Krishna as one of the most important practices, the two things go together because if you chant Hare Krishna, then you're naturally thinking of Krishna because he's personally present in his name. This is the basic principle of Krishna consciousness. So once you're able to think of Krishna, then the mind becomes properly aligned it becomes satisfied and spiritual intelligence awakens within the mind. 
Labda buddhi, one gets one's intelligence, one's spiritual intelligence. And then uh, one also starts to notice good qualities in oneself. These don't just don't come out of nowhere. In fact, bad qualities don't come out of nowhere either. The Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, and this is the last point I make before I take a few reflections. So we've said a lot of things here. He says, Purusha prakriti stohi bunte prakriti jangunan karanam gunasangosya sarasad yoni janmasu. Where do we get our qualities? Have you ever, know, ever wondered that? How you got to be the way you are? Everybody likes something different. Like some people, they like, I don't know, shag carpet. That's something from the 60s. Other people, they like to live in a trailer park. Other people, they like Chinese food. Not Sri Krishna Purushottam. You can't feed Sri Krishna Purushottam, Prabhu, anything but Italy and Italy sambar and dosa. He won't eat anything else except maybe some tamarind rice. But you can't give him, you want some pizza, you want this or that. No. Sri Krishna Purushottam doesn't like pizza. He only likes tamarind rice. Uh, that's, that's interesting. And then other people, they don't like Italy and dosa. They only want pizza. In fact, I always wondered that. When I went to Italy recently, I wondered, do, do Italians really eat pizza? Did you ever wonder that? Do they really eat pizza? Yes, they do. It's, a, it's remarkable. If you're Italian, guess what kind of food you eat? You eat Italian food. <laughs> Italians eat Italian food. That's partly what makes them Italian. So Krishna is saying people all over the world, all over the universe, living entities, they take on a certain set of senses because of their previous association. And they get attracted to a, a particular set of sense objects. There are uh, animals that really like to eat seaweed all day. Some kind of fish, uh, um, they just eat, you know, I don't know, what do they eat? They eat smaller fish. And there are, you know, I know there are all kinds of weird things that living entities eat. In fact, this is one of the songs, Lochan Dostakur sings, you know, it's amazing how living entities, they take on all these different bodies and they eat you could imagine 8,400,000 species of life. How many different kind of takeout do you need for those living entities? Krishna's supplying takeout for everybody. 8,400,000 species of life, and they're all ordering out. You know, what do you want? Yeah, I eat leaves. Earthworms, I suppose, eat dirt. And hogs, we won't even get into it, what they eat. But it's all the same living entity in there but they have a predisposition to eat certain kinds of things. This is all based on the body and the predisposition is all based on our past association. So the practice of Krishna consciousness, is everybody listening? The practice of Krishna consciousness means to readjust our association 
and the objects that we're meditating upon. And by those two things, our whole being transforms our bodies, our minds, and most importantly, <clears throat> our predisposition changes. And we're, we shift from being attached to base things to those things which are sublime. And the most sublime thing is love, real love. And that real love exists in the spiritual world in five different kinds of relationships. And even as we're living in this body and on this planet, we can reawaken our, one of those five relationships that we have with Krishna. And that's called Krishna consciousness. And when we do that, then we're successful and we'll be happy. Otherwise, it's a big jumble down here in the material world. And um, there's no point at which we'll feel satisfied. Now, I'll just take a couple of uh, reflections or questions. Hi, Krishna Prabhu. Oh, Hare Krishna. I really, really like the point of uh, remembering Krishna and uh, how you can control your mind. Just, just being, uh, uh, you know, when, when the mind gets Krishna, I was remembering one of the analogies that His Holiness Radhanath Swami mentions, that when he went to Elephanta Caves with his parents and how the monkeys took away his mom's uh, credit card and his mom looked at him. I mean, he, the, the purse that had everything that they, they took from US, their passports, their everything. And she was looking at Maharaj and she says, you have to do something about it. So he ran to a banana person and he took the banana and threw the banana to the monkey. So the monkey let everything go and took the banana. So I was remembering that part that when our mind gets Krishna, uh, it's not worried about anything else. It's just so happy that it won't, it won't ask for anything else. Thank you. Well, that's a happy ending, but the monkeys in Vrindavan are a lot smarter than that now. They don't always give the stuff back. <laughs> they like to break it first anyway. They chew on it and throw it back. No, it's an excellent example, and it's really beautiful. If we give them something that they like. Here's a question from Ankush. After some time performing devotional service, we do not feel we are advancing in Krishna consciousness. Does that mean we seek new association to achieve the higher taste? only if you're not in good association, but you got to be patient, you know. Rome was not created in a day. And Krishna consciousness, it's not like, you know, you can just start and in 10, 15, 20 years, then all of a sudden, you know, you're experiencing ecstasy and rolling on the, on the floor. You know, it takes a methodical effort over a lifetime to come to a, some stage of uh, real standing in devotional service. It's the most valuable thing. So Rupa Goswami says, be patient. This is important when you're baking bread. I found out the hard way. You can't rush the process or come out all yeasty. And you go, what's wrong? Bread doesn't work. Bread doesn't taste good. But did you follow the recipe? You have to wait till the bread rises and it takes the time. How long does it take? As long as it takes. And you know, the environment counts. There's a cookbook actually written by a chemist and she talked about all the circumstances under which the food you're cooking has to be 
you know, it, it varies how it comes out according to the environment. And uh, there are many different kinds of variables that can affect the outcome of your cooking. So there are many variables that affect the outcome of your practice of Krishna consciousness. But one thing Krishna keeps saying over and over again is just keep doing it and be patient because you will come to the point. And you don't have to change your association again and again unless you're unless you can unless you're in bad association or that you can or there's something where you're invited to go where there's much better service for you and better association. Ankit says, I like the fact in bhakti yoga. The mind is controlled by intelligence. I was just thinking how like our phone disturbs us through push notifications, the mind also disturbs us through pushing impressions. And to purify those impressions, we need to get higher taste. Yeah, we're all familiar with push notifications. And there is a lot of parallel because the mind gets programmed the way the search engines program our particular profile to chase after us in a particular niche. This is actually um, one of the theories on why people are so polarized these days. It's because everybody's in an echo chamber and everybody's listening to a, <clears throat> a voice that's mimicking what they're asking for. For instance, if you go and look online for a few things, it'll keep following you because it ends up in your profile and your your sense of reality then gets shaped by that it's very similar to the way the mind works also with some scars <clears throat> you come into this world and you have a particular perspective because of your past experiences and when you're being driven and actually we are driven by our past experiences i think i'm making an independent choice but i'm making a choice based on my previous impressions which are in the mind and they say no no this is the best thing because i like it but why do you like it it's only because you're predisposed because you're being influenced by those algorithms that are in your mind it's not actually a free choice you're being forced to choose a particular thing because of the impressions you just think you're independent but you're not that's why krishna says prakriti kriya manani gunai karmani sarvasha hankara vimuratma kartaham iti manyate just that when you become really foolish because of connection to the material nature, then, then you think, oh, I'm the center and I'm doing everything. But actually you're being forced to do it by material nature. That's a doozy, isn't it? Okay, next one is from... Is everyone okay? Do you all need to speak up to air your concerns in the Zoom room? You may have some concerns. Hare Krishna, Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Um, can we just say Krishna, Krishna, Krishna instead of chanting the Mahamantra? You can do this one. Where, where'd you go? Oh, I'm here. Oh, yeah, you moved from the bottom to the top. It's hard to keep track, everybody. <laughs> here, here's a mantra for you that Lord Chaitanya used to chant. Krishna, 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 hey. Krishna, 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 hey. 
Krishna 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 Rakshamam Krishna 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 Pahimam Rama Raghava Rama Raghava Rama Raghava Rakshamam Krishna Keshava Krishna Keshava Krishna Keshava Pahimam Do you know that mantra? No. Okay. Uh, make sure somebody make sure she gets it. You chant that sometimes. Always chant the Maha Mantra though. It's the best mantra. That's why they call it the Maha Mantra. Okay. But it's all you can chant Krishna, Krishna, Krishna if you like anytime. But taking mantras that are passed down from the uh, the acharyas is highly recommended because uh, they have special potency. They're a formula. All right. Okay? okay. But variety is okay too. And, you know, there's no hard and fast rules. If you feel like sometimes just saying Rama, Rama, Krishna, Krishna, go for it. It's all absolute. It's no problem. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Who thank else you. would like to air their concerns? Hi, Krishna. Hi, Krishna. Hare Krishna. Go ahead, Priya. Um, this is not a concern. I, I was wondering if you could elaborate on the point you made earlier about um, in the process of Krishna consciousness, one starts to understand one's own good qualities. Uh, this uh, this seems to be um, contradictory to um, the many Vaishnava songs we sing, because as we see um, the Vaishnavas advance, they tend to sing songs about how lowly they are. So how is it that we um, become more aware of our good qualities. Actually, it's really a paradox in a way. Uh, you know, Jack Benny, he was a uh, comedian. You never heard of him, Priya. But he, he was around my in my parents' time. And one of his routines, his comedy routines, is he, he'd play the violin in a very raunchy way. Like, it was annoying the way he played it. And I remember seeing him on the television. My parents were laughing. And I said, he's a terrible violin player. And, and, and they said, no, actually, he's a consummate musician. He's, he's a you know, concert uh, qualified violinist. And then they said something that shocked me. I had to think about it for a while. They said, in order to play that bad, you have to be great first. <laughs> so... Uh, when uh, devotees reach a high state of consciousness and they express this uh, humility, like in the song we sang yesterday during Youth Jam, you know, they can observe uh, that and, and express it in such a way that it's understandable to us. Oftentimes people who are actually in lower consciousness who express humility are more talking about low self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> That's why when Bhakti Manon talk Thakur talks about humility, it's so attractive. It's coming from a different platform. But let me tell you what I meant uh, by that. I meant that it's quite surprising, isn't it? When, when you notice in yourself the ability to control your senses. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, it's not very surprising at all to watch your senses overrun your life and just do whatever they want to do, despite you going, hey, hey, wait a minute. Wait, what? I thought we were gonna do. <laughs> I thought we had a plan. And your sense again, nah, forget it. We're doing what we want to do, buddy. And this is our thing, you know. This is what we do. Remember, 
And you're like, all right, okay. You know, uh, we wimp out because we're not strong. But if there's a case where you go like, no, we're not doing it. And then the senses go along with you because you're so strong and you have this taste that you're going some other direction and, and it really mutes the sound of your senses and, and, and it could be startling. Like, wow, how did that happen? That is amazing. I just noticed in myself and you, one will realize that this isn't, this isn't my doing. It's coming from a higher power. I can't control my senses. I never have been able, but then all of a sudden you say like, wow, how was I just able to do that? That's what I'm talking about. And that is then, then you come to the realization, oh, it's not me, it's the holy name. I'm getting it because I chanted 16 good rounds today and I was able to walk on, you know, above the ground. I didn't step on the ground today. And it's like, whoa, that was amazing. And it's a gift that comes from Krishna. It's not coming from us. So that's, that's what I meant. Yeah, the good qualities come in. Yes, yasti bhaktir bhagavatiya kinchana sarvaragunas tatra samasati sura harava bhaktasu kuto mahadguna manoretina sati davato. You know that verse, Shamalangi? You learn it in bhakti, bhakti vaibhav. Yes, yes. That's good. These are important verses. You know all those and you have your repertoire. It's good for you and it's good for your teaching to other people too, to be able to quote that. Okay, let's see what else. What are the concerns would you like to air? Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj. Oh, Hare Krishna. Hare So uh, just to the last point you were making um, before you started asking for reflections about, you know, the living entity and the, the, the worm liking some type of food and the hog liking some other type of food. I was reminded of the verse um, from the Bhagavad Gita 15.9, Shotram Chaksu Sparsanam Charasanam Gurnam Ebacha. Which says that the living entity thus taking another gross body obtains a certain type of ear, eye, tongue, nose, and sense of touch, which are grouped about the mind. He thus enjoys a particular set of sense objects. So um, I was thinking, uh, I just got another reminder or another thought was four years ago, I was um, driving His Holiness Dhanavir Maharaj and Maharaj was sitting in the car and he was silent for about 10 minutes. He was just observing the people as he was walking by in New York. And then Maharaj just said, just see the captivating energy of Maya. This man is attracted to this woman. That cockroach is attracted to that cockroach. You know, a cow is attracted to a cow and like that. I was just thinking, you know, because of the, the body that we're in, we're so much attracted. Our desires, you know, take us everywhere, and, you know, like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very important point. It, it's inherent in the body. And you gave a good uh, citation from the 15th chapter of the Gita that we get a certain set of senses that are grouped about the mind. And those senses that we get are the filling in of our desires from our previous life. So in, the, in, in this life, we develop impressions in our mind called samskars. Now, what happens to all of them? They're very subtle, but they have uh, an impression. You know that things evolve from the subtle and then become grossified. 
So there's a way in which, and Krishna talks about it in the Gita, Patanjali talks about it in the Yoga Sutras, that when we leave this present physical body, there's a filling in of the impressions from our previous life, from our present life, it fills in. And that's what you said, Shotram Shakshu Sparshanam Cha. This is naming the different senses. And the senses actually, we're not smelling with this fleshy protrusion here. It's actually, there's a subtle element behind it uh, that is actually the, the software that runs the nose. That makes sense to all of you, I'm sure. There's a <laughs> software that runs the nose and there's a software that runs the ears. It's not just the gross mechanics of it. And it's, it's that software that gets transferred and then filled in with the gross manifestation that we get, this particular ear. You could get like a coyote ear in your next life, if you think like a coyote. You think and act like a coyote, you hang out with a coyote, you think of a coyote, you get a coyote ear and a coyote nose or you know any other number of living entities. And there's a, there's a jumble uh, nowadays, there's a computer program where you can create people. Have you seen this? Valaram? It just runs it. You've seen it, Bhakti Rohit? It, it runs it and you can see myriad images of, of people and they're just computer generated. They're not actual people, but that's what actual people are. They're just a jumble of these various, uh, you know, algorithms that have been grossified uh, from the subtle level up to the gross level and just gets manifested out. And then as you're pointing out, Gopal Champu Prabhu, there's a way that once that is uh, manifest, then we just go that direction because the senses are predisposed to go in a certain way. However, the process of devotional service purifies the senses and it gets rid of what's called upadis. And here's the, what an upadi is. If you take a pure crystal, which is clear, and then you put a red rose next to it, you'll notice that the crystal turns red. So that's the same as we are pure, but when we're in association with the three modalities, then we take on a particular color. Para bhavas jato yavan. What is it? Para bhavas jato yavan na jignasa ta atmatatvan tavat kriyas tavat idambanovai karmatmaka yena sharira bandaha. Yeah, there it is. Karmatmaka yena sharira bandaha means the mind becomes colored. There's a new potty in it. And that's what uh, drives us from one place to the next. So devotional service goes like this. Sarva padifa nirmuktam tat pratvena nirmalam hrishikena hrishikesha sevanam bhaktiruchite. When you perform um, services with your various senses, then the, those upadis begin to diminish and you take away the coloring from the senses. The coloring comes from the three modalities. And then you get the pure consciousness comes out. This is what's called Cheto Dharpana Marjanam from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That, that surface, uh, the, chet, the chitta, the mind becomes pure. And you can see yourself. 
And by the way, when the consciousness becomes pure, then Krishna appears within your consciousness. This is proved by Lord Shiva in the Bhagavatam when he says, Satvam Vishudam Vasudeva Shabditam Yadiyate Tatra Puman Apavrita. Apavrita means once you come to Shuddha Sattva, no more modalities, uh, Sattva Rajas Tamas, it's pure Sattva, Shuddha Sattva, then Krishna appears. He's already there. It's, it's not like he appears. He's already there. I just can't see him because of the fog. And how do you clear the fog? Kechit Kevalaya Bhaktya. Vasudeva Parayana, Agham Dunvanti Kartsneya, Anihara Iva Bhaskara. When the sun comes out, Bhaskar comes, right? Dira Prashanta, when Bhaskar comes out, then Anihara Iva Bhaskara. Just like when the sun comes and it burns off the fog, so in the same way, when the holy name comes, when the pure devotional service comes, the practice then the fog gets burned off and you go, oh, look what's here. Have you ever had that happen? I remember uh, the first time I went to Hawaii. I went to Hawaii. I got there late at night, I think on Christmas Day, because the marathon was dead. I was on my way to India. And I flew, got a cheap ticket. The first leg of the journey was to Hawaii. It was really funny because I got there and I saw it was warm like 73 degrees at night and there were Santa Claus out there. Not the, not the real one, but you know, people had them up on their porches and stuff. And I was thinking, that's weird. How can you have Santa Claus in 73 degree weather? So I got to the temple by midnight. I found my place on the floor and went to sleep in the Brahmacharya Ashram. And I got up for Mangalartiks, was uh, sitting chanting my japa. And then the sun came up and I said, oh my goodness. Look where I am. It's heaven there. I mean, not really, but it looks like it at first before you hear the ambulance go by. Um, but I looked out, I said, amazing. I was here at night and I didn't see it. So we're already there, but we can't see it because it's dark. So Krishna consciousness is the light. And then once, it's, once we get the light, then we can see Krishna is here with us. What other grievances would you like to air? I'm just kidding. Any uh, reflections or more questions? I have a question, Prabhu. Okay. Sorry, somebody Go ahead me. and then Manjula Kanta. Prabhu, my question was, um, we're talking about the mind and the modes of material nature acting on the mind. So I can always control which mode I'm exposed to depending on what I expose my senses to. Is that right, Prabhu? If I expose my senses to watching scary things or movie or uh, something that is, um, uh, you know, uh, any kind of other uh, exposure that I can possibly do to my senses can change the mode of modes that I'm exposing my mind to. Is that right, Prabhu? Yeah. Thank you, Prabhu. Oh, yeah. You have to be careful. I told you this about five times already, but I read this in the Yoga Sutra commentary that yogis who understand how influenceable their minds are, are as sensitive as an eyeball. You remember me saying that? You remember why I said that? They said, because the, the eyeball is the most sensitive part of the body. If you put a tiny little hair on your eyeball, it'll go crazy. So yogis are that sensitive to what they're taking in because they realize there's consequences. They said they're especially sensitive to the Chladini klesha. Chladini klesha means you think you're getting enjoyment from the material world, 
But once it sticks, it's really hard to get rid of that hladini, that pleasure sensation. It's not actual pleasure, but it, you th your brain thinks it is. So people get addicted to things, even though they're suffering, they do it over and over again. However, there's good news. You want to hear good news? Okay, I'm counting everybody. If you don't want to hear it, then mute yourself so you can't hear this. But there are ways to put superior scars into your mind and they actually cover the detrimental ones. So, you know, we had in, in this little place I live right here, this Kutir I live in, when Prophet was down here the other night for the disappearance day separation uh, uh, celebration and we, and we did some puja in here, we offered incense. And um, it was uh, otherworldly, the smell. For the last three days, I walk in here and I can, and my mind just takes off somewhere to some spiritual place because I smell that incense. It just stuns me, actually, the, the residual of it. And so Krishna consciousness, it smells good, it looks good, it tastes good, it sounds good. The, you know, everything about it is heart-rending and, and uh, very tasty. And so when we take in these impressions, you know, like at ISV, when we have a big festival and we're hearing and chanting all day, and then we take prasadam together and there's like, everything's nice. And then you go home and you just feel like you're not in the material world at all. And, and you see people walking down the street and you go like, ew, what are you doing? Where are you going? <laughs> you missed the festival. <laughs> I remember in LA at Rafi Acha, I go down there to help Nirkula cook and I'd be in the kitchen for two days and then on Watsika for another day. And then we're at the festival all day and then walking home, walking to our car across the Venice strip where people are, they've gone crazy. And the, the sense gratification is so blatantly base that you look at it and go like, oh my God, it's hell. And and you can see for yourself that you're already in a superior position because of the power of the association and the and the uh, the prasadam that you've been getting from every direction. So bhakti yogis, you know, who understand what's at stake here, I mean, they read these verses and they get it. it you know, labvam sudurlam abhidam bahusambhavante manushamartadam anityam apihadira means like. Man, little Jiva, you got a chance. You just landed in the right place. Get ready to jump, boy. Don't, don't waste a second here because it, it's a nityam. It's very temporary. I've been thinking about that lately. I mean, these bodies are held together with rubber bands, basically. You think like I'm big, strong, you know, whatever, but it, it can break down in five seconds. And then you have to relocate. And according to what you've, what portfolio you've put together in this lifetime, that's what you get to show at the door at the next place. You don't get more or less, <laughs> you, you get what you get. You don't get a say in it. So now's when you get the say. Now's when you get the chance. So it's really important to take advantage of the opportunity when you have it. Okay, then we had Manjula Kanta. Guru Maharaj, I was um, thinking about uh, prayers, actually. 
and how you know when when Vaishnavas are not feeling well something we pray for them and recently um one of my um, my grandmother was sick and everybody was praying for her and they felt like their prayers were answered and she came back home and she was fine and i was wondering um when we pray to krishna you know uh, we are asking krishna to change his plans for us i mean there's the will of krishna and then there's the will of the devotee who's begging him to change the plan how does it work when it's a materialistic request and how do prayers work when krishna already has a plan giri rajmarj answered that somewhat the other night when he was talking about how devotees were praying for prapa to stay and he saw that it was a way in which you express your your love and your devotion for someone and it and it intensifies it krishna definitely has his own plan he could uh, adjust it according to the desire of his devotees but whatever he does whether he decide whatever however he wants to arrange it uh, it's for your good and for everybody's good who's involved because krishna's all good keep that in mind and the second is uh, when we say a prayer, Prabhupada taught us to say like this, my dear Lord, if you so desire, please, would you consider this and this and that? <laughs> and thank you for considering my request. We, you know, make demands. And then, you know, whenever, whenever he decides to enact whatever he wants to enact, then we take it as like, okay, he's got a plan one way or another. I mean, the idea that I'm going to pray to like be solid in this body forever is is crazy. So it's not a very good prayer. And the best of prayers are like Pritam Maharaj. We said, I'm like a child. You're like my father. I don't know what to do or what to ask for. So what I'm asking for is you, you do for you know whatever you think is best. <laughs> That's a better prayer. And uh, if you stick to those kind of prayers, then... Uh, it, there, it's a little more harmony in your mind. There's not the cognitive, con, cognitive dissonance. But my, th my thought was when materialistic people sit down and pray, yeah. pray, a lot of times, even in history books, we read this, that, you know, like Humayun, he prayed for his son and he was willing to switch his life for his. And the Lord accepted and it happened. So I was wondering, is there power to prayer? In that sense that I'm asking for something and praying and Krishna just gives, like for a materialistic person, is it true? Krishna mentions in the Bhagavad Gita how he responds. He's, he reciprocates with every living entity. Everybody's on my path. And he's the only one who's fulfilling all desires. Eko bahunam kaman. Who else is fulfilling our desires but Krishna? So he's fulfilling according to our desires and also what we deserve. And there's a expert a perfect arrangement for every living being, and everybody's perfectly situated according to what they've cultivated and what they what they desire. Now, when we develop a desire to serve Krishna, as an example, Krishna says in the Gita, Tesham Satata Yuktanam Bhajatam Priti Purvakam Tadami Buddha Yogam Tam If you start asking Krishna, I want to serve you, I you know, please tell me what to do. He's right there. Gajendra said he he was he was he never took a break. You took a break. <laughs> he didn't take a break. And when you start praying, then Krishna says, okay, here's here's what to do now. And he'll make arrangements for us. And so we have to be 
a very sensitive to how Krishna is making the arrangements. That's why Brahma says, Tatenu kampam susumikshamanu bunjane vatmakritam vipakam, that best way to think about it is once you start praying, whatever you see coming at you, then you can you start you understand it. Okay, Krishna is arranging it like this and like that. That's the heart of a devotee. And seeing that, you know, okay, I don't know exactly how to arrange this. Like the little bird, it got in my house. He thought I was trying to kill him. I was just trying to let him out. So, you know, the bird was praying, get this monster off my back, you know, and like I, he barely escaped. And if I'm thinking, you know, in a certain way, then the way everything that comes to me seems like, oh, you know, Krishna is not listening to me. He's listening and he knows exactly what to do. But be realistic also. The material world's not permanent. Everybody comes and goes, and there's a there's a little sign on the on the material world saying, enter at your own risk. And so when you come into the material world, don't think that, you know, like how come I can't get everything I want? And you know, everybody knows you can't always get what you want. Okay. So today's Gopashtami. Vrindavan is a magical place. In fact, it is the, even in Vraj, Vraj is in Goloka Vrindavan. And there's a Boma Vrindavan, which is identical. And that is the topmost place of the spiritual world. Goloka Namni Nijadamni Tale Tatasya Devi Mahesha Haridama Suteshu Teshu Te Te Prabhava Nichaya Vihitascha Yena. There, there are graded realms. A realm, actually, by the way, a realm is characterized by its sound, the quality of the sound, because everything is created by sound. So every realm, Om Bur Bhuvaswa Tatsavitua Varenyam, when you're going up, Om Bur Bhuvaswa, up higher, 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 the sound vibration becomes more refined. And when you get to the spiritual world, every realm is defined by the sound vibration. And it's not only defined, but created by the sound vibration there. So Vraj, Vraj Dham is the pinnacle of the spiritual world. Highest place in the material world is Brahmaloka. Then you go beyond that up to the, the abode of Lord Shiva and in the interim period place through the Viraja, the demarcation between the material and spiritual world. Then you have the Vaikuntha planets, and then you go up to the Goloka Dham. That's where Krishna. That's where Krishna relaxes and has fun with his people uh, in an unceremonious way. Just everyone's, everyone's uh, Krishna's just himself there. So, Vrindavan Dham is the most uh, exalted of all spiritual places. Lord Brahma prays after he sees the opulence of Govinda. And it's not that, like, there's unlimited opulence in Goloka. Aishwarya is there. It's just that the Madhurya is so thick there that you don't perceive the Aishwarya as much. Like if you put some salt in a, in a you know, a little bucket, about, you know, a pound of salt, and then you drink the water, it's going to be very salty. But if you go up to Hrishikesh and put, you know, five bags of salt in the Ganga and you drink the Ganga, it'll still be sweet. Salt's there, but Ganga overwhelms the salt. So 
in in Vraj, this the sweetness overflows everything. That's the nature of Goloka Vrindavan is sweetness. So when Brahma challenged Krishna, you remember that? He took away his calves and he came back. He said, hey, wait a minute, they're still there. And what about ours? And he looked and then he looked back and then he looked to one way with two heads and the other way with the other two heads. And he saw, yeah, there's two sets of boys and calves. And then Krishna revealed that actually the, the, the ones that Krishna had manifested were emanating the spiritual world and Narayan forms were coming out of their bodies. And that, that you know, all, he was bewildered by seeing so much the spiritual world. And then he could understand that the most exalted of all the spiritual beings are there in, uh, in Vraj Dham. So he made this prayer that, let me become a little piece of grass outside Vrindavan so that maybe some dust from the lotus feet of the residents here will fall upon my head. I mean, that's also a prayer that Uddhava makes. When you go to Uddhava Kun, you'll see that written on the wall, his prayers that uh, Krishna sent him to Vrindavan to see, because he's one of the Haridasyavarya. He's one of the greatest worshipers of Krishna. Everybody knows it. But Krishna sent him to Vrindavan to see, you want to see the real devotees. Take this message from me and you'll see the, the, the devotees in Vraj. So Gopashtami is a special day in Vrindavan, in Krishna's pastimes. But Krishna, it's not that he grows. Every form of Krishna is eternal. And it's manifesting uh, in one place and then it moves to, that he moves to another universe and another universe. His, his pastimes are constantly uh, moving through the through the various universes and so when it looks like krishna changes from one age to the next age it's not that his body uh changed like mind changes it's that you're seeing one pastime and then you're seeing the next pastime so he's classified according to his ages so when he's a, when he's a small child he's in his komara lila and that goes up until he's five years old. And then he starts his Pogandalila. So in, in Vrindavan, uh, this Supreme Personality of God, and Lord Chaitanya is teaching this to Sanatana Goswami, this, um, you know, the yogis are trying through meditation for millions of years. We know this from Brahma Samhita, right? What is the verse, Sri Antariksha? Pantastukoti. Good, go ahead. Who's doing that? Pantastukoti Shatavatsara Sampragamyo Vayoratapi Manaso Munipungavanam Syopyasthiyat Prapadasimya Vichintya Tatve Govinda Madhi Purusham Tamaham Bhajami That was beautiful, yeah. So Brahma is saying, you know, yogis, Muni Pungavanam, the best of the Munis are trying life after life to reach Krishna, but they, they don't come to the tips of the toes of, of Lord Krishna. But 
in Vrindavan because of the overflow of love from the devotees. Arajo Bhagavan Vrajeshatani. There's there's this overflow of of love from the devotees, and that's what attracts Krishna. And Nayam Sukapo Bhagavan Dehinam Gopika Asuta Gyaninam Dehabutanam. The the best way to attract Krishna is through loving devotional service. So in Vrindavan, when Krishna is a little child, you'll notice that um, he goes around and steals from house to house. He steals butter. And he, he does it any way he can. It's, he sneaks butter, he breaks the pots, he takes butter. And when he they bring it to his mother's attention. You know, she chastises him, but and, and he acts all innocent. But when he actually goes to the house of uh, the houses of people to steal butter, if uh, they hide it, then he'll pee on the floor and then leave, or say, "You better get some next time, or I'll trash your house." So uh, Krishna is uh, in in this. Uh, playful mood when he's a little child and he's uh he's fully attentive to all the residents in in Vrindavan and they're fully attentive to everything that happens in his life so one of the the big events that takes place is a big change in Krishna's life from being a child where sometimes they let him take the calves and Krishna wants to take the cows out and he wants to go out alone too with his friends and take the cows and that's what Gopashtami is. And so there's a, there's a lot of discussion about it between Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda about whether Krishna is old enough to take out the cows, it's a big thing so they, they finally decide to do it, to give him cows to take out. And they also go to the uh, Rishi, Sandilya Rishi is one of the great sadhus there in Vrindavan and they calculate a time astrologically what would be the best day. And it's a big festival uh, when Krishna finally takes out the cows. And um, Yashoda gives him a stick at that time for uh, tending the cows, which he never uses on the cows, never hits his cows. And uh, they do a puja for Krishna and all the residents come out as they see Krishna going out to the to the pasturing grounds with the cows for the first time on Gobashtami when they're, uh, they do um, an artik for Krishna and they're praying for his protection when he's going into the into the field with his cows. Yashoda comes after him and says, Did, are you sure you ate enough? You're going on out, out in the fields today and just, we'll send a cook out later to bring you more prasadam. And he's like, come on, mom, just let me go. And so Gopal Champu, the book, describes how when he finally gets out into the pasturing grounds with his cows and his friends, he's independent and he can play to his heart's content with his friends. In fact, it's on that day 
You'll notice in the Bhagavatam on that Gopashtami day when he goes to Talavan and, uh, and they perform their pastimes there with the tall fruits and Dinukasura and so forth. So this is uh, noted by the, uh, by the great Acharyas who talk about Gopashtami and how Krishna, how much he loves his cows. So it's mentioned, Gopal Champu, that the, uh, the devotees, they chant on a mala with one, 108 beads. But Krishna, he also has a mala. It's got 108 jewels on it. And he chants the names of his cows. So he loves his cows so much, you might notice that when the, the demigods go to the milk ocean and they do their prayers, you know, at the beginning of the 10th canto, you know, they're doing Purush Sukta and uh, there's no answer. Or there's no, <laughs> Krishna doesn't appear. <laughs> they're all serious and offering prayers. But in Vrindavan, if Krishna hears one of his cows, oh, then Krishna was running, how are you? Is everything okay? He's so attentive to his cows and all the, the devotees in Vrindavan. He's right there personally with them all the time because he's attracted uh, to the, uh, the lo loving devotion that's there that just flows from the hearts of the devotees, the natural uh, love that flows from their hearts. And so um, on Gopashtami, Krishna goes out for the first time into the forest and there's a huge festival today in Vrindavan. Uh, everyone's decorating the cows and remembering Krishna's pastime. They notice in, um, in Vraj when Krishna does reach the Poganda age and they can see that his footprint is a little bit deeper than it was before. The, his lotus footprint. And so in Vrindavan, now that becomes the center point, Krishna going off in the, uh, with the cows and then coming back later. And then everybody celebrates when he comes back. So Vrindavan is a wash in love for Krishna. It's a magical realm. And, and all the pastimes there that we hear about Krishna in the in, in Vraj are uh, to attract the mind. And when we become attracted to Krishna's, the details of Krishna's life, his pastimes, the way the devotees serve him, then there's no more attraction to the material world. And that is, uh, again, from this verse. I'll read it again. Oh, yeah, I was thinking today about how the, uh, the yogis try for Krishna, but they can't reach even the tips of his toes. And along the same lines, there's this verse from the 10th canon, 10, 11, 7. The gopis would say, if you dance, my dear Krishna, then I shall give you half a sweetmeat. By saying these words or by clapping their hands, all the gopis encouraged Krishna in different ways. At such times, although he was the supremely powerful personality of God, he would smile and dance according to their desire. 
as if he were a wooden doll in their hands. Sometimes he would sing very loudly at their bidding. In this way, Krishna came completely under control of the gopis. So Krishna is com controlled by love. Nayam sukapu bhagavan dehinam gopikasuta gyanam chatmabhutanam yata bhakti matam iha. This time I got it. Yata bhakti matam iha. Nothing succeeds like bhakti. And uh, so you don't need anything else to succeed in life. You don't need anything else to come to the perfection of spiritual life, but pure bhakti. And the practices of bhakti start with shravanam, kirtanam, vishnu, smaranam, hearing, chanting, remembering uh, Krishna. And if you do that and you develop full faith in that, that process, then this is called firm faith. Shraddha shabdi vishwas kohi suridhanishchoi krishne bhakti koilasarva karma kritahoi. Means you know that just by doing bhakti, you'll come to the perfect stage of life. So on this Gopashtami day, we pray. Dear Krishna, if you so desire, please let us remember your beautiful pastimes. Let them be manifest in our hearts and mind. And please let us uh, spread these pastimes all over the world by distributing more and more Srimad Bhagavatams. Not to the Not to the Not to the Not to the Not to the